podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Thanks for choosing this free Anfield Index podcast. If you'd prefer to listen to this or any of our other shows without adverts, then now's the time to check out Anfield Index Pro. With AI Pro, you can supercharge your entire listening experience. You'll not only get all of our podcasts without the ads, but you'll have them far faster with our quick publish feature available exclusively for subscribers. AI Pro also puts you in the heart of our sound studio with an option to listen to many of our shows live and interact with the podcasters in real time as the shows are recording. Upgrading couldn't be easier. AI Pro is available on all popular podcast platforms and we have our own apps for Apple and Android. Just head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com and get started today. Hello and welcome to AI Scouted on Anfield Index Pro. I'm Dave Hendrick, here under duress, joined by the heathen, the tyrant, Mr. Karen Matchett. How are you? Be quiet. This is my this is my show from now on at this hour of the day. On with your work, boy. <laughs> this is absolutely your show, because if there's one team that I probably shouldn't be allowed to talk about, it is this shower that we're playing on Tuesday night. Liverpool versus Rangers. Given the current form of Liverpool, you would say this is the game to decide who will finish third in this Champions League uh, Champions League group stage. But uh, Liverpool obviously will be hoping to finish in the top two and get through to the knockout phase rather than take their rightful place in the Europa League. Now, starting off in this group, Liverpool got walloped by Napoli while Rangers got walloped by Ajax. Liverpool did, did then sneak past Ajax as Rangers got walloped by Napoli. Uh, we will now play them back-to-back, home and then away, within the next eight days. And Rangers in the league have won their last two games, something that Liverpool would know nothing about. Uh, Carol, your thoughts on... Liverpool at this moment in time and how likely they are to find their way out of this group if something doesn't change in the next couple of weeks. Well, first of all, I'd like to apologise to all the listeners. Um, if Dave seems even more grumpy than usual, it is because I've made him record very early on in the morning and it is because Liverpool are terrible and it is because the playing Rangers. And quite honestly, your first sentence there where you said, I shouldn't be allowed to talk about this shower. I thought you were going to be saying Liverpool there at the end of that sentence. It could, it could be either. It could be either of them. <laughs> at the minute and I will also point out, I have, I have raised a formal complaint against you and Drinkle for bullying me. And I was laughed at by Tandon. Went right to the top, took my complaint to the boss and was laughed at. HR, I'm not here for your petty concerns. Yeah, HR, HR just said, shut the fuck up and get on with it. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 think, I think this is obviously, obviously, for all three teams, the back-to-back or the, the two games home and away that they want to get the, the six points from. Now, on the face of it, Liverpool should. You know, we should. We should beat Rangers. Oh, dear. We should beat Rangers. Um... If we do that, obviously having beaten Ajax already, nine points is very, very close to the threshold that you generally need to go through. 
you only then need to, let's say, avoid defeat to Napoli, maybe, or just not get beaten. Um, obviously, against Ajax in, in the in the return game, and we're there. So it is definitely in our hands at this point. So I don't think that we need to be as dismally pessimistic as our league performance would have us suggest, just by virtue of having got that very, very late goal against Ajax. I think if we, if we hadn't have done it, it would have been a very different matter. But with those points on the board, and if we do win back-to-back against Rangers, we're nearly there. We're very, very nearly there. And obviously it'll depend a lot on how the, the other games go uh, between those two sides. If Napoli really turn it on against Ajax and beat them both times, we'll, you know, it's, it's looking very, very good for us, obviously. But if Ajax suddenly pull out some sort of big performance or there's a couple of draws or whatever, we'll, we'll actually be top going into the last couple of games, which is a odd thing to consider at the moment, considering our recent form. Um, should we beat Rangers? Yes. Will we beat Rangers? What an intriguing proposition. Yeah, I mean, that is the thing. We should beat them both times. If, if we're going to be honest about the, the current state of Scottish football. Rangers and Celtic, by far the two best teams up there. Celtic, the better team. Rangers, the second best team. I'm contractually obliged to say that. Um, as things stand, they're both championship-level teams. I would say Celtic, if they were in the championship right now, would be a playoff team, and I think Rangers would be a little bit outside the playoff. If they played in English football, I think that's the level for them right now. Putting aside the size of the club and everything else, just looking at the squads of players available, I think that's the level for those clubs right now. The rest of Scottish football, I would say, would be League One teams. So we should be beating a mid-level championship team in back-to-back games. Now, Ibrox for European football is fairly special. Like, it's up there with Anfield as one of the best grounds, one of the best home advantages you can possibly have. To the point that last season, a very average Rangers team found their way to the Europa League final. Largely based on the power of Ibrox and what they were able to do in their home games, overturning deficits against. Braga and against Leipzig, drawing with Dortmund when people thought they'd fluke the away win, making even making the way out of the group stage, that came down to their ability to win games at home in Europe. It's a special stadium, and when it's a big night, that place bounces from about an hour before kickoff until about an hour after kickoff. They make incredible amounts of noise. It's hostile, but they're so behind the team. It, it reminds me of Anfield on a great European night. The difference is Anfield can be a bit hit or miss. Like Anfield doesn't tend to get up for group stage matches. This place, it qualifiers, <laughs> this place is absolutely hopping. I mean, all you need to do is go back and look at the the crowd at the, in the PSV Eindhoven game. It was absolutely incredible, the noise that came out of that place. I mean, I, w- I would think that that would go double <clears throat> being against, um, obviously, a, a fellow British side and English side. I think it will go double if we beat them as well uh, in the first game, which is obviously at Anfield on Tuesday. 
And like you say, I don't quite expect that we're going to have the same um, home advantage, let's say. Uh, I don't expect that it's going to be as meaningful. I don't expect that it's going to be as important. And also, our recent form just doesn't really set the tone for people going to Anfield and making one of the most memorable special occasions, nor does the fact that it's the third group stage game. Nothing really plays into the occasion for a club which is habitually through the group stage without too much of an issue. You know, for Rangers, obviously, qualifiers are really, really important because it gets them to a place where they haven't been all that often. Group stage games, they don't come around quite as often. They don't come around, you know, as as often as they would like, for sure. Um, Scottish football, for quite a long time, only had one qualifying spot for the Champions League. So it was was pretty difficult for either of those sides to make a real impact. So I don't think that the atmosphere tomorrow night is going to be the most incredible it could possibly be. Um, I think maybe, what, 20 years ago? Maybe even a little bit longer than that now. Anything which saw a British side go against another British side was always pretty much a guarantee of a lot of um, quite intense rivalry, to be honest. Uh, I remember quite a few Man United Rangers, I think. There was a Leeds one, possibly. Liverpool Celtic, obviously, we had um, as well. And all of them were like really, really high profile. But I do think that much of that has been diminished now by the way the Champions League set up, by the way there is a ridiculous saturation of European football below the Champions League. And I think for, I'm talking here about the English sides, obviously not the, not the Scottish or, or other nations necessarily. Uh, and it does seem to be a little bit more tired or tiring in the group stage now. But that is because we've been spoiled by this team, obviously. When we first got back into the Champions League, very, very different. Of course. And if you think about it, in the 90s, when, you know, you mentioned that Leeds-Rangers tie in the in the early days of the Champions League, the atmosphere was incredible for that. But those two teams were very evenly matched. Like, there wasn't a massive gulf between Celtic and Rangers and the best teams in England at that point. Because... In the late 80s and the probably most of the 90s, to be fair, Celtic and mostly Rangers were able to match the spending of English clubs. You know, and you look back at some of the players that played for Rangers at that time, you had Gaza in his peak, you had Brian Loudrup in his peak, players like George Alberts brought in for big money. Yeah, they were they were spending the same type of money that Premier League clubs were paying, both on transfers and on wages. Now the gap is enormous. Like Rangers have spent large sums of money over the last few years. When Gerard was there as manager, they spent more on transfers than the rest of Scottish football combined but they spent less on transfers than any Premier League club over that same three-year period. Like, that's the gulf between England and Scotland now. You know, their budget is Norwich, Bournemouth, those type of clubs. Even, probably not even Bournemouth. Like, Bournemouth spent $15 on a player in the summer. Rangers aren't doing that. Whereas Liverpool are going out and dropping $65 on a a striker. Um, So I think that has obviously change things and from the English point of view the Scottish teams aren't seen as as much of a, a threat as much of a rival as they would have been 30 years ago 
Yeah, I think that's definitely fair. I think in general, the gap between even the top two in Scotland and the rest of Scottish football that you mentioned earlier, that has widened, but the gap between the top of Scottish football and the top of European football has widened at a much, much faster rate. Um, not really much that they can do about it, to be perfectly honest. That's you know the location and it's the size of the league and the amount of sponsorships that they can get and the amount of success that they've been able to have at the start of the European era, if we call it that. You know when the Champions League started to be a lot more about the money and everything. If you know if Celtic and Rangers had gone through to the semi-finals a couple of times or something like that, and they got I don't know Hearts or Aberdeen in at the same time because they got an extra space and there was more money and more cameras on them at the time and everything else, it might have gone very, very differently. It's just the you know, a circumstance of, of what the league is now. Um but in terms of this Rangers team, I mean I I've not watched them domestically. I'm not I'm not gonna pretend that I have. I didn't even watch the old firm this time, um the most recent game, but I've seen both of their Champions League matches, uh seen seen how they set up in those. And uh, despite the score line for about 15 minutes or so against Ajax, I thought they were all right in terms of they looked quite well drilled. They looked like everybody knew that their role, they looked like they all had jobs which were very, very well defined. And I thought that that was you know, a good starting point. They didn't have very much of the ball, obviously. But then Ajax started their rotation and they started to move the ball quicker and they started dropping people out of positions and moving others around and... <laughs> Well, Rangers' organisation was not so good, unfortunately. <laughs> and the gap between them was um, quite astonishing, to be honest. I didn't expect it to be as big as it was. Now, this was maybe the best half of football that I've actually seen Ajax play this season so far. Um, but Rangers could not touch them. And it obviously does show. And, and the Napoli one was only 3-0, but it, it could have been quite a bit more, to be perfectly honest. It, it probably could have eclipsed the, uh, the Rangers' scoreline if... Really good chances had been taken, so it does show that as much as there is an element of organisation and people do know their roles and everything, that is probably versus the level that they're playing at on a more regular basis, rather than at the top end of European football. Yeah, I think without question. Um, I've watched three Rangers games this season. Uh, I watched both Champions League games after the fact, because they lost, and I watched the old firm game because... I watch every Celtic game. And Celtic tore them apart with pace and movement and attack. Like you said, once Ajax got the the, the automations going in their attack, Rangers couldn't cope, and they couldn't cope with Napoli. They couldn't cope with the pace. They couldn't cope with the power of, the, of that Napoli team. And, I mean, when you look at the defenders that have been kind of stalwarts for them, over the years, and James uh, Tavernier, he's a player who was at Wigan and struggling to get a starting role at Wigan before Rangers brought him north of the border seven years ago. Connor Goldston, who's the vice captain at centre-back, he was struggling to get games at Brighton in the lower league before he went north. Um, Borna Barisic, is a decent player, but he's not a spectacular player by any stretch. They're not top-flight players. They're not players that were brought in from the highest level. And they have done very well in Scottish football, and many of them have impressed in last year's 
run to the, the final of the Europa League. But the fact of the matter is they are a level below the top echelon of players. And this is something we need to be remembering when we play them. Yes, it's Rangers. Yes, they're a big club. But we are significantly better than them across the board. So looking at their team, in all likelihood, John McLaughlin will be in goal. Uh, He has played 11 times in total this season. I assume it will be him. Um, He has sort of established himself as the first choice this season, while McGregor is 40 and and absolutely on the decline. Um, Tavernier will be, assuming fitness, Tavernier will be right back. Barisic will be left back. Goldston will be one of the centre-backs. Now, his normal partner over the years was uh, Philip Hellander, the uh, the Swedish centre-back, but he's had a number of injury issues last season and this season. They do have John Suther, who's a Scottish international. Solid player, joined them this summer, was at Hearts for years. So it could be him. They do have Ben Davies, uh, who rumours are he used to play for Liverpool. But I've never, I've never seen any evidence that he played for Liverpool. Uh, they've got Leon King, who's a, a, a decent young player. Uh, Adam Devine is a decent young player. One player I do really like, the, I like the look of, is Ridvan Yilmaz, the young Turkish left back that they brought in from Besiktas in the summer. Uh, he was quite a coup for them to get him because a number of top European clubs had been circling, including Atalanta. But Rangers were the team that got him in. I mean, that's not a defence we should really be overly concerned with having the ability to stop our front line if our front line show up. I agree. Um, I mean, we've mentioned both Rangers and Ajax and how they played. And Napoli, obviously, we, we got first-hand uh, experience of how good their rotations are and their interchange of positions and their build-up play. So those are the things that Rangers have obviously struggled with against the bigger sides that they've played this season. Uh, do Liverpool have that at the moment? Because there's not always an awful lot of evidence of it. Obviously, against Brighton, we had a spell for, what, maybe half an hour or so, and there definitely was a bit more mobility in the attack. We saw Sauer sort of roving centre-forward at times. Firmino started to get on the ball a little bit more. Midfield, I'm not sure that there was any rotation as such. I think the only real change there that we saw in terms of um, attacking positional play was some of the time when the build-up was down the left. Trent was actually as a number 10. He was like literally right behind our centre-forward and letting Henderson go outside him. Uh, so that was maybe one thing. It didn't really lead to anything for Liverpool in terms of chances or build-up play or anything, but it was worth noting off the ball and his, his positional take-up. But I don't think that there is at the moment as much rotation of positions at all as we're used to seeing from Liverpool. You know, Diaz maybe in off the left um, will be at centre-forward at times, obviously depending on who starts. As the nine, there's there's scope for Jota or even Darwin to go out to the to the left-hand side from there. But generally, I don't think we have as much. You know, the interchange of possession is one thing, but not really the rotation of positions. I think that that's been way below the usual level for us. Agreed. I think it definitely has. I don't. I don't think that's in any way debatable. 
Um, I'm just looking at their their lineup from the weekend. It looks like McGregor's actually back as the first choice goalkeeper. So make of that what you will. It's a 35 year old or a 40 year old. It's not. That's the thing. But, but that said, it was a 38 year old who who causes problems for Ajax. So mm. we shouldn't get too carried away. Um, ben Davies did start at centre back next to Connor Goldston, but was withdrawn during the game. Barisic. Uh, at left back and Tavernier at right back. In midfield, they started with Ryan Jack and John Lundstrom. Now, people will remember John Lundstrom from when he was with Sheffield United. This game will mean a lot to him because he is from the city of Liverpool. He is an, a former Everton player. Um, so this will mean a lot to him. And that's in all likelihood the midfield too that they'll go with. Scott Arfield is is an important player for them. Um, so he will probably play either right wing or number 10. Now, James Sands has played a lot for them this season, but he is suspended for this game, so he won't be there. Um, he's played both centre-back and holding midfield for them. They've got Glenn Kamara as an option in midfield. They've got Stephen Davis, long-time Southampton player. Um they do have options in the centre of midfield. None of them are none of them are top class midfielders, but these are all really hard working midfielders, like proper grafting midfielders, the type that you could see playing for a Burnley. You know, those neat and tidy, hard working, well drilled, clever midfielders that don't do anything spectacular, but don't make many mistakes. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, probably a good comparison for them, to be fair. Um, in, sometimes we've seen Lundstrom drop in and they play a three at the back and let the fullbacks get forward a bit. I do think that the wide areas are where Rangers have their biggest strengths. That's both for the fullbacks and the wide forwards when they're in a 4-3-3 or a 4-2-3-1. So I, I do feel it makes sense for them to play three in the middle against us. Um, if you're your Rangers, if you're Giovanni Van Bronckhorst and you're looking at how can we get a result down at Anfield, I think you're obviously going to have to look at the points that Liverpool have dropped recently and not just the weekend against Brighton who are just doing well this season anyway, but even against uh, Fulham for example or whoever, where we've not really coped at all with direct balls into the into the channel, we've not coped well with runners from deep, we've not coped well with well, anything at all when teams attack us to be perfectly honest, so You've got to make sure that your team is set up. Whichever formation you have, you've got to have the runners who are going to be willing to join whoever's up front for them. It could be Jolak, it could be Morelos. Assuming that Ryan Kent is a definite starter on one flank, I think probably then you're looking at maybe Kamara. Jack, I would say, maybe has to start, as long as he's... Uh, Jack will definitely start. I think Jack, and, I think Jack will definitely start. I think Lundstrom will start... He's one of the ones, really, who who is pretty decent at time in his runs forward. Not necessarily mm. into the box or beyond the nine, but definitely... Again, Just actually, on the edge. Yeah, quite like the Burnley boys, in fact, when it was Westwood and um, a cork for oh, ages yeah. and ages. Yeah. It, was, cork, yeah. It, yeah, it was right between box to box, and it was literally on the outside of the box. They would sit They would sit behind to play build-up oh, down the wings. Sh- Sean Dyche takes box to box very seriously. <laughs> it's literal. That doesn't mean you get in the opposition box. It means you run to the edge and you stop. <laughs> 
<laughs> but you need that support absolutely for the for the second yeah. balls which are coming off the striker for any half clearances which apparently our defenders just sort of aimlessly swipe a boot at and just goes five yards or so. So they are going to have to set up in a manner that lets their central players break forward. Davis, I guess, will start because he's you know experienced and all the rest of it, but. I'm not sure that that's the best option, or maybe at least not for the whole game. He might be someone who plays like a significant role for them if they can hold us. If they concede early on, I think he's maybe a little bit more of a difficult one to integrate into a team who needs to get forward. Yeah, he's a bit of a liability if you're playing from behind. He he can help you manage a game, but at this point in his career, he's not going to help you win much. Um, They do have wide options, like you mentioned, and you would assume Ryan Kent, former Liverpool player, another one that this game is going to mean a massive amount to. You'd assume he will start. Uh, they do have the option of playing Rabi Matondo on the opposite wing. Now, I don't think Matondo will start this game because if it was a, in the Ibrox game, I could see them going with two out-and-out wingers. But in this one, I think they'll probably go with either... Either Arfield plays right back and is tasked with tracking Costas. L- uh, Lundstrom has in in the or not right back, right side midfield. Lundstrom has played there in the past, um, and he could do that job. I think they'll try and get they'll get four of Lundstrom, Davis, Jack, Kamara, and Arfield on the pitch, and then it'll be probably Kent in the other role. Now, they do obviously have young Charlie McCann as well, um, who's played a couple of times this season and looks a decent player, former Manchester United uh, academy player, one that they were very excited when they got him last summer, one of Gerrard's last uh, last bits of business. Um, up front, it is almost certainly going to be Cholak, brought in in the summer. Uh, he's had an outstanding start to the season. 11 goals already, um, eight and eight in the league, and he scored in the he scored in the early stages of the European Cup in the qualifiers. Um, he's sort of the one that's replaced Alfredo Morelos in the team. Morelos is a strange player. I mean, when he first went to Rangers, he was banging in goals and getting red cards every week, but he's just each season he's fallen off a little bit. So Cholak up front, he's a problem. Um, he's big, he's strong, he's got a good touch, he's a good finisher. He's been around a long, long time. And he's had a journeyman career. I mean, most of it spent in Germany. But you know, he's bounced to um to Greece and to Sweden and now to Scotland, where he seems to have found a, a league that suits him very much. I don't think he's Again, I don't think he's a top-end player, but he's certainly a player who knows how to score a goal. Yeah, as long as he's going to get the service, that's that's their out ball, isn't it, really? Whether he's trying to run off one of the fullbacks or whether he's trying to hold it up against maybe Matip, you'd imagine. Um, a little bit similar to Mitrovic in his hold-up play, I think, in that he'll try and bring it down like on the chest or something like that and literally hold back the defender until people can join him from the second line. And then he's very, very quick then to spin in behind and try to make the runs and all the rest of it. He's a, he's a very willing worker. Um, he is. <sighs> he's not a player who should individually cause us as many problems as I think Morelos would do 
when he was, you know, in form, that kind of movement and aggression and tenacity, let's say, to, to beat people and sometimes tenacity to beat people up. Um, it, that would be, I think, more an individual problem. But Cholak can bring the rest of the team in, which is, I think, more problematic for Liverpool at the minute because we have zero organisation, zero track and runners, zero ability to win individual tackles, apparently. Yes, we've, we have absolutely forgotten how to win individual battles in any way, shape or form. Right across the team, that's not a one-player thing, that's everybody. Mm. I would say there's an, there's one X factor for Rangers. A player who I think is very, very talented. A player who I think, if he plays, could absolutely cause us some issues. And that's Malik Thielman, in on loan from Bayern Munich. Uh, USA international, talented player, attacking midfielder, a, a unit for an attacking midfielder at, at just under 6-2. If he gets an opportunity, and he's not n- normally a starter, but if he gets an opportunity in this game, he could be someone that will cause us some issues. He normally comes off the bench for them, but he has started five of their six games in the European Cup so far. Now, if he plays, he'll often play behind the striker, so he could be another option in that number 10 role, depending on what they want to do. Again, I think him and Matondo are more the players you start in the home leg. I think you go Matondo, Tillman, and um, and Kent in the home leg and maybe go a bit more solid in the away leg. But he's a player I do I do quite like. A little bit raw still, maybe. Um, probably the... First touch is not always quite there, or the decision making which you expect from a young attacking midfielder uh, obviously needs a bit of improvement. But he's a he's an interesting sort of second line forward, if you like, because he does have, like you say, loads and loads of power in his running. He's got a, a pretty fierce shot on him as well, um, and he's quite hard working as well. He's not like just someone who'll just stand up there and wait for the ball to sort of be played around him or that. He's not not so much playmaker as just aggressive attacking midfielder, really. Um, I, I do think he'll be like one off the bench, though. Probably him and Matondo, and then whichever one of the other central midfielders we mentioned. Uh, and Arfield, then. I think Arfield for right is a fairly interchangeable one without making too much difference of how the game plan is going to go. Uh, but as much as we go over this team, this game, Liverpool, Anfield, Champions League against Rangers, has to be about the Liverpool lineup, has to be again about how Liverpool play. And how we allow Rangers to to attack us or don't. It does, but before we hit that, I just want to get your opinion on Giovanni Van Bronckhorst because he did. I thought he did an outstanding job at Feyenoord and won a league title and two cups with them. And in general, I just thought raised the level of Feyenoord to such an extent that they were competing week in, week out, with PSV and Ajax. Something that hasn't been the case for a long time and hasn't been the case since he left, really, either. He went on to manage in China. It didn't go well. He arrived at Rangers to replace Gerrard. He obviously did exceptionally well in the uh, Europa League to get them to the final. But the league form wasn't great. They did win the Scottish Cup last season, which was their first cup 
in in a few years. What do you think of him as a manager? Because when when Rangers lost to Celtic, I won't say I took great joy in going on social media <laughs> and looking at what Rangers fans were saying, but I, I did peruse what they were saying, and they wanted him gone at that point. That was their first defeat in the league for, for the season, but they en masse wanted him gone. Now, I know social media is not always the greatest judge of things, but I found it surprising. I, I I was really surprised that Rangers fans wanted him gone. What do you make of him as a manager, and what do you make of his stint? I know you don't watch a bunch of Scottish football, but what do you make of his stint north of the border so far? Well, I, I wondered when he went back there if it was a bit of a heart-over-head sort of thing, because go from doing quite well in the air of the VSC to two leagues, which are quite frankly, in the grand scheme of European, or no, not European, world football, largely irrelevant, is not a great move, to be honest. Uh, if you do well in in the Netherlands, in the top flight with one of the biggest sides there, generally you go to a Germany, maybe a, a decent club in Spain or in England or something like that. So his career path at the minute doesn't really reflect what, he did at the start so it's a little bit odd so I did wonder whether he just went to Rangers just to get you know back in you know a place that he knew obviously he played there for for ages and maybe it was a little bit of um I want to get back into a job I need to get back into a decent European league they're in European football or whatever it is uh, rather than really because it suits what he wants to do as a manager but for the European games really good last year really really good I did see I think from like the quarters onwards, something like that, um, how they were getting through. I was actually mostly watching for the teams that they were playing, but it just so happened that Rangers get beaten them all, so I was watching them as well by by extension. So I was impressed with how he sort of picked up um, quite a lot of motion around the club and sort of ran with that, basically, and took them taking them all the way to the final is like a massive, massive achievement. But because I don't really obviously watch the domestic stuff every single week I did find it surprising that even at the same time people were loving obviously the run to the, to the final but were not convinced about the way that they were doing it as it in terms of it being like a sustainable approach that they weren't really having a style so much that under Gerard, I, I think quite a lot of the Rangers fans didn't actually like Steven Gerrard that much or at least didn't like um, the way that the team played all the time but it did have a way of playing and I think that that seems to be what the Rangers fans that I've spoken to say is missing here with Van Bronckhorst. There's like obviously a formation. They can see what they're doing in terms of, like I said before, organisational, but there's not really a set style that you could say, this is how we win games. It's just, you know, playing football, you know, it's, it's, it's relatively basic in terms of their build up play. They get it down the wings. They try to get it into the box. It's not really a, maybe a modern or maybe a very aggressive or exciting style. And maybe that's the, the kind of thing that they're, they're missing out on. But, you know, he, he won with, a, that was the Dirk out penalty, wasn't it? For when they won the title mm. for, uh, for final there. And it looked like he was going to be like one of the next ones to, to move and go on to something really good. I think moving to China, obviously at that time, that was actually the COVID year. He went there, which was just a weird decision all round. And then he was home for a while and then he came home properly at the end of the season so it wasn't the greatest move and it was without a job for a bit of a while to be honest so maybe like I say this was just getting back into a, a role 
in a place that he was familiar with and could probably have a decent rapport with the fans with to begin with, and then he'll see what he wants to do afterwards. It's a bit difficult to judge where he is, I think. Yeah, for sure. I, I think a lot of it with Rangers fans as well is, despite what they'll say, they were watching Celtic and watching the brand of football that Celtic were playing and asking, why can't we play like that? And of course, they did lose to Celtic. I mean, the only two defeats that Van Bronckhorst had in the league last season were to Celtic. Um, and of his his three games against Celtic in the league, they lost two, drew one. They also lost to Celtic in the Scottish Cup. Oh, sorry, they beat, they beat Celtic in the Scottish Cup semi-final. But that was less important because they wanted to defend their league title. And if they'd gotten even two draws against Celtic, in the two defeats, they would have won the league title. So, yeah, I, I just think that it was a, it was more to do probably with Celtic than to do with Gio himself. Um, you had to be, like, regardless of the style of football, you had to be excited by what they were doing in in Europe. I mean, for a club like Rangers to get, for any Scottish club at this point, given how the league has fallen off, to get to a major European final... And regardless of how much we might mock Arsenal and United for playing on Thursday nights, the Europa League is still a major tournament. Um, it, 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 that's really impressive. And they lost on penalties. Like It's not like they got whooped in the final. They lost on penalties to a, a good Eintracht Frankfurt team, having matched them every step of the way. I, I just it's Football is obviously very, very reactionary, and nowhere is that more prevalent than on social media. But I just found it so strange. But like you, I do think he's he's made some weird decisions. I mean, when he decided he was going to leave Feyenoord, he didn't seem to have any kind of plan in place for what he wanted to do next. As you said, you look at the last few managers who have left having, you know, won league titles over there. You had uh, Frank De Boer went to Inter. That was a disaster. Went to Crystal Palace. That was a disaster. And every step of the way since has been a bit of a disaster. You had Philippe Koku went to Fenerbahce. The Turkish league isn't one of the top tier leagues, but it is a very strong league. And Fenerbahce are a massive club. Now, it didn't go well for him there. And it didn't go great at Derby either after that. And obviously now you have Eric Ten Hag at Manchester United. And it's been a mixed bag. You know, he tried to play his brand of football. They got annihilated by Brentford. He then went to Ollie Ball, just, you know, dragged Ollie Ball back out of whatever cupboard it had been stored in. It turned results around really, really well. But then they got their asses handed to them by um, <laughs> by City yesterday. But all three of those, you know, Inter Milan, Fenerbahce, Manchester United, they're much bigger, more prevalent jobs than Guangzhou. You know, that it was such a bizarre thing that he did, uh, especially going in January when COVID was already kicking off over there. And obviously the whole time he's there, everything is just strange. And then this move, like he'd been out of work 11 months. This just seemed like, yeah, he played there, he, he was familiar with the club and he wanted to get back into management more than 
this was a job that he actually would have sought out, all things being equal. Um, right, let's talk about Liverpool then. Um, another disappointing result at the weekend. But we come into this game having had our best Champions League performance uh, of the season, which was, I think, our best performance of the season against Ajax. Now, the 2-1 win didn't really reflect the game. The fact that it took us till the 89th minute to get that winner didn't really reflect the game. We were the better team. Ajax did have a little spell during which they equalised. But it was a good way for us to turn things around, having been embarrassed in Naples. Yeah. um, It's a little bit of... uh take what you can at the minute in terms of looking for positives from, from the season and from form and everything like that. But I guess you can say that we're unbeaten in very nearly a month now. Well, that's, that's, that's a good thing and I'll take it. <laughs> um, I don't expect that we're really going to see anything change for this game. It's kind of just going to be more of the same, isn't it? I thought there might be some changes in approach against Brighton, maybe not necessarily for formation, but for certain things that we did and we spoke on Raw, I didn't really see too much of it had changed. I didn't really see too much um, tactical alterations had taken place to fix the issues that we had had. We still saw the same things causing us the same problems. And I think that there's no real reason to expect that that's now going to change three days later. No. No, if if people are looking for some sort of miracle turnaround, I think they need to probably temper their expectations. Though, of what is an extremely busy month for Liverpool, this is the easiest game that we're going to have. Um, you look at the rest of the league games, Arsenal away, horrible, City at home, I'm scared, West Ham at home, horrible, Forest away, I think it'll be tough enough. And Leeds at home won't be fun because of how Leeds play. Um, these two games against Rangers, and in particular the home game where, you know, there won't be the Ibrox factor. Uh, these are the games that we need to absolutely win. Because look, the title is done. Like, let's, let's all, you know, be honest. The, the title is done. We're not winning the league this year. Um, we might stage a big, heroic comeback in the second half of the season like we did last year and claw back the deficit to a point where it it looks like we've made a real bash of it but we're not going to win the league title this year we can still win the European Cup if we can get ourselves through this group stage send the players off to the World Cup and then regroup afterwards we can still win the European Cup uh, but to do that, we need to make sure that when football restarts after the World Cup, we're still in the European Cup. So we have to win these two games. As you said earlier, win these two games, and then depending on how results go in the other ones with Napoli and Ajax, we should be well positioned to find our way through. If Napoli win one and Ajax win one, Napoli will have nine points, Ajax will have six, and we'll have nine meaning that if we can avoid defeat against Ajax in Amsterdam, we should go through. It would, unless we got absolutely annihilated by Napoli in the moment. No, it's head-to-head, so if we... Oh, it is head-to-head, so yeah, so we would go through. We'd be done. Yeah, so that's it. Beat Rangers twice, don't get beaten in Amsterdam, and we're through. Mm -hmm. And then we can put it to bed, and then we can all pretend that the... 
the Napoli game where Kavicha just decides <laughs> to make us his bitch again doesn't happen. We can all be happy with that. Maybe, maybe they'll um, play the uh, under-18s as well. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. <clears throat> um, right, quickly then, what Liverpool team are we expecting? Alisson in goal. Yep. Is there a shout here to leave Trent out and play Joe Gomez at right back? Obviously there is, and no, it won't happen. Perfect. Moving into the centre of defence, is this the game where Ibu Kanate comes back in next to Virgil to give him some minutes after having missed the season thus far? I'd like to think so. I mean, obviously we're not exactly sure how fully fit he is or how close to full fitness, but it would be nice to see him back on the pitch. It would be nice to take any <laughs> vaguely positive, optimistic things that we can at the moment. So, I, I mean, I think that's it. Probably start the season as one of our better players, but at the moment we're leaving such big gaps and we're missing so many things in terms of our organisation and stability through the middle that recovery pace is actually really important. So it would be good to have Kanati mm. uh, in from that perspective. Even Gomez, when he was playing... And wasn't great in all his individual defensive moments. There were still quite a few occasions when his pace was really, really important for us, or it could have been even worse. So I would like to see Kanate back, but obviously that's dependent on fitness levels. Yeah, I mean the other option obviously is to play Joe if you wanted to give him another another crack of the whip. Um Costas, you would assume, has to play left back because the other option is putting our heads in the oven uh, while James Milner tries to play football. Uh, I assume Virgil will start, obviously, next to whichever other centre-back. Midfield is interesting. I have a feeling... I have a feeling he's going to rest Fabinho for this one. Me too. Which means Brian as the six, um, where, you know, he's less crap than he is as an eight, but not particularly good. Uh, Harvey Elliott and Thiago either side, or is this the first start for Arthur Mello? Mm. Because this is the game to do it. Because you can't do it against Arsenal, and you certainly can't do it against City, and I wouldn't want to do it at Ibrox. I don't think he'll start. Neither do I. I wouldn't say he's going to start. He is this season's Ozan Quebec. Um, he'll disappear after Christmas and we'll be told he's got some injury when in truth there's nothing wrong with him. Um, Harvey, Henderson and Thiago? Or it, will he rest Thiago with Arsenal? I don't think Thiago can play the full game at the very least, but maybe it's so important at the minute that we win the game that he's got to start and maybe after 55-65, if we're there, then he's one of the ones to come off first. Yeah, I mean that's that's probably the sensible thing. It Drinkle, don't be don't be at it. Don't be at it. Um Guy is suggesting Milner in midfield. If he if he starts Milner Henderson and Thiago or Milner Henderson and anybody, the first words out of my mouth on Raw after the game, regardless of result, will be Klopp needs to go. Um in attack Oh god, Milner Henderson and Elliot, Jesus wept. All you need to do is bring Lalana back on loan and lob him in as well. Um, in attack, I assume Salah will start uh, glued to the right touchline. Luis Diaz will start on the left. Who do you think starts through the middle? Jota. 
And I would start Firmino because he just scored and played well, relatively well. But I guess we changed things up loads, so I'm going to go. Did Jota. he play well? Well, yeah, I think he played okay. Did he play I think well? he played all right in part. Take the goals out. Take the goals out. Did he play well? I think well? some of the link play was fine. I think some of the work rate was fine, and I think that some of our moments when we were trying to get the game going a bit quicker in the first half was down to him and Carvalho. I think, and and we saw what happened to Carvalho. Yeah. Yeah, got himself got himself sat down at halftime. Like I, um, I, I think Firmino is probably a starter against Arsenal, so I think Jota will start this one. That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Um, this is not I, how Pick and Liverpool teams are supposed I, to go. It's supposed to be who's most informed and most well. dangerous. Yeah, n- nobody is the yeah. answer. Nobody is informed. Nobody is dangerous. They're a danger to us. <laughs> Uh, less to the opposition. Um, I, I don't even want to talk about them anymore. What, what's your prediction for this game? Let's just be done with this podcast. I'm going to go for 2-0 to Liverpool. I reckon we'll have too much control to not win this game. And by control, I do mean control of the football, not control of the space, which is a whole different matter, but let's not get back into that because that's another half an hour. Yeah, Guy is pointing out that you've just suggested a clean sheet, which just seems a little bit insane. Um, so I'm going to say 2-1. And uh, I think we'll go 2-0 up, concede, and somehow decide that you know this is one to cling on to and have about five to ten minutes where they batter us. Uh, but then we'll get back a little bit more, a little bit more control of the game. Um, two one. Yeah, look, that'll do. Liverpool versus Rangers tomorrow night at eight p.m. under the lights at Anfield. If you're going, please just make a fucking boatload of noise because uh, this lot they they need something to spark them into life. And um, if it's not you, I don't know what it's going to be. Anything to plug, Carl? Before we say goodbye, radio. That'll do us. We'll be back later in the week to preview the upcoming ass-whooping by Arsenal, which will be the most embarrassing thing to happen under Jurgen Klopp. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed listening to this Anfield Index show. Please be sure to subscribe to our channel so future podcasts find their way to your device automatically. There's nothing quite like fan engagement, and we'd love to know what you think of anything discussed on this show. The best way to get in touch is over on our free Discord community, where both podcasters and listeners debate the hottest LFC topics 24-7. Sign up free now at anfieldindex.com forward slash discord. You won't regret it. You can also follow us on Twitter at Anfield Index and find us on Facebook by searching for Anfield Index. Oh, and before you go, we'd love it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favourite podcast app. It only takes a couple of seconds, and it means the world to the people who create these free shows. Sports Social Podcast Network.